You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 22 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart. I'm here with Jen Robertson and Neil Glover. Hello. Hello. Hi, Fiona. Good to see you both. This is a momentous occasion for a number of reasons. Of course, we're reaching the final chapter of John's Gospel, so that's a milestone episode. But also, it's the second time we've seen each other this week because we met in person yesterday for a review and planning meeting. And there'll be more of that to come, uh, more information to come in there. this episode and indeed in the next episode. Now, one of the highlights of this year has really been the amount of correspondence that we've had from all of you. We were talking yesterday about the fact that at the start of 2022, we'd, we'd said we would like to encourage more of a sense of community. And certainly I think 12 months on, we think that's happened so thank you to everybody who has responded and uh, asked questions and come in with things Uh, we would love to hear more of that uh, to hear how you're listening what you're responding to and most importantly of course how God is speaking to you through our meanderings thanks for heeding the call to get in touch please keep doing that as ever it's outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org or via sbs socials Now, we do have one more episode to bring you before the end of 2022, and that's going to be an episode of reflection on the year and uh, the gospel. I think we might return to the prologue because we've loved talking about Mm. the prologues. I was thinking today it'd be good to do that. It's going to be a bit of news in that episode about what's coming in 2023 so that you can get ahead and uh, stay with us as we as we start a new year with new Bible readings to go to. Plus, if you get your correspondence in in time, then we'll also spend some time answering your questions and giving you shout outs. So it's like a bumper Christmas episode. It's like an annual uh, to see you through the festive season. So, Jen, Neil, without giving too much away, what are you looking forward to in 2023? outspoken. I'm looking forward to a little bit of a dip into the Old Testament, mm. which we discussed yesterday. <laughs> uh, and then I'm looking forward what we, I think we all agreed when we met each other yesterday, and wasn't that lovely, um, was that we enjoyed the kind of sustained immersion into a book. And I think we're going to repeat that again, aren't we? I think we are. I'm, I'm waiting. How many plot spoilers are we? Allowed? We don't want. We don't want anything too specific because we'll talk about that next episode. But okay. yeah, Jen, what are you looking forward to about 2023? Just in the podcast, I presume. Just in the podcast, like yes, the whole yes. life, not um, whole life. Yeah, it's. Been, I really think it's been great to talk about each chapter after each other. Just keep going through it and not dodging bits that are difficult or you know sometimes we've sat down to do this and it's been a chapter where I've just thought oh my goodness I I really don't know what we're going to talk about and what's this what we're going to get out of this and actually those episodes have been the most profound and God's really spoken to me so I would just like more of that really and more more chat from other people as just as Fiona's just said all the the correspondence we've had has been great. Well, that's a nice, neat segue into my next question for you, because we have had a bit of correspondence since last time, and we're doing a wee bit of a catch-up here on a couple of episodes. The first email was from Jill Clark, and she was referring to the discussion we had about John 18, about Peter and the sword. And let me just read you what Jill writes. She says, thank you for your discussion and reflections in the last podcast, which were thought-provoking as usual. Your conversation about Peter and his sword jogged my memory, read some puzzling verses, which I subsequently found in Luke chapter 22. In verse 36, Jesus instructs the disciples to buy a sword and, if necessary, to even sell a cloak to finance the purchase. When the disciples tell Jesus that they have two swords, he replies, that is enough. 
Then, in verse 49, as the crowd led by Judas approaches, they ask Jesus whether they should now use their swords, but one, who we know to be Peter, lashed out anyway. In Matthew's account, Jesus says, for all who draw the sword die by the sword. So the question that, that Jill's asking is, do you have any thoughts about Luke 22, 36 to 38 and Jesus' instruction to the disciples? It seems out of character with his teaching, and yet we know that Luke carried out his research thoroughly. It's a, a great question. I was really glad that it was asked because I'd never stopped and thought about it. And I was wondering, just a wonder, um, so Jesus has said to the disciples, you don't need anything. And then wonder if he's being slightly ironic or humorous by saying, oh, but you better take a sword, like, because it's going to get really tough. Now this, you're, in, you're in a dangerous environment. So he's, he's being, yeah, it's been ironic. He's, he's just sort of kidding them on that, you know, don't take anything, oh, but maybe you should put a sword in your bag. And then, so when they start saying, oh, let's count the swords, <laughs> Jesus is just like, oh, no, you've got the wrong end of the stick. Like, end this conversation. You're, you're not getting it. So, I, I mean, that that was helpful for me, but... I'm not sure if that's really what was going on, but it make it ties in more with Jesus of what we know about Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Neil, any thoughts? It, exactly what Jen's just said, and think I, it's a genuine puzzle. I I, I struggle to understand it. I think he, just the un, only other thing to add is that in the life of the early church, no one interpreted this as a call to buy actual swords. Mm. And they, once again, as Jen has already mentioned, Jesus saying it is enough or that is enough um, is seems to have been taken as some kind of we're not going to use these anymore. Jill, I hope that's helpful. <laughs> I don't really have anything to add other than a slight confession, guys. I should really tell you this. Do you remember I told that story about the knife in the hedge? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think I've discovered, this is so, so funny. I think I've discovered that it may belong to a lady who's doing some work in my garden. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't negate the point, which is that people, you know, do carry knives right here. And that was my assumption. <laughs> and it was quite a scabby knife. So, you know, I don't know. Anyway, I thought I'd just confess that to everybody. That's sorry, Fiona, that's a really interesting thing. There is a general phenomenon mm -hmm. in which we tell stories about how, how bad the world is. Yes, yes. And very often on closer inspection, they turn out not to be as bad. Mm -hmm. The the most famous one, I think, there was one in America where I think it was a woman who was potentially being attacked had called for help and she'd had to call someone like 18 times and nobody had come to help her. And actually when they looked at the story more, there had been lots of people trying to um, to help her. So very often our tales of urban threat yes. turn out to be less yes. threatening. We yes, well, there's a whole argument, there's a whole thing there, isn't it, about, about crime statistics and the fear of crime and all of that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah. But also, there's a book, I can't remember the, the name of it, I'll, I'll put, the notes in the, put it in the show notes, but there is a book that's about how we interpret uh, global statistics. Okay. It would help if I could remember the name of the book, it's quite interesting. Um, I shall put a note to it. I'm just trying to work out in my head what that book might be called. I know, well, it's by a guy, he's World a Scandinavian. Stats. Yeah, it's something. Well, it is something like that. Scott. I'll, I'll, I'll try and come back to it. Yeah, I'll maybe I'll maybe look it up during Glover's off, Neil. Uh, so yeah, so thank you for Jill, that, Jill. Um, I'm not sure if that's answered your question, but certainly it's it's helped all of us to then reflect. Oh, interesting. Uh, we also wanted to pick up a conversation we've been having, and I think it was a regular correspondent Elizabeth who had raised this around dreams, and this is going back to the episode we did when we were talking about Pilot's wife and the dream that she had had. Jen, I think you had something you wanted to add in on that. Yeah, I think. Uh, the thing about God speaking to us in dreams has been with me all year. In, in various situations I've found myself in, it has come up in conversation. 
And um, my son Andrew as well has lots of friends around the world and many of them would talk about uh, God speaking to them through dreams when they sleep. It seems to be quite significant um, and I'm aware that I maybe just get a, a Western view of things. Uh, also, we've heard as a Bible society from other Bible societies around the world that that's how God's speaking. And then it came up in the it came up in the podcast as well. Like, does God speak to us in dreams? And then sometimes God just does. Well, God doesn't let go of some things, does he? Uh, in the We Youth Bible Study group that I'm part of, uh, we were talking about how God speaks to us, and we started talking about dreams again. And then we decided as a group uh, that we would go away and ask God to speak to us, uh, whether that was before we went to bed at night through dreams or we just asked, we, we wanted God to hear from God. And so I went to bed one night and I just asked God to speak to me in a dream. And then during the night I had a dream and it wasn't really dramatic or, you know, it just it was a very practical dream about somebody I know. And I, I won't share the details because it's about an individual. But I just knew I had to pray for that person because of what I dreamt. And then I woke up just after that dream. I prayed for the person and then I went back to sleep and I just had normal crazy dreams. But I knew, I knew that that dream was different. Mm -hmm. Not that it was weird or scary. It was just God was telling me something. So all the time that God's trying to be saying to me, I, I could speak to you in dreams. Um, he did. And it hasn't happened since, but I'll keep asking. Mm -hmm. And that, that's just my story. I think it was just the perseverance. And I think Elizabeth said that in one of her messages too. So you have to keep asking. Mm -hmm. And that's what it was. And a consequence of it is just made me pray for this person more um, than I was in a very specific way, I think. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, there's an encouragement maybe for all of us to to press into that a little bit, maybe particularly around Advent season that we're that we're into. There's there's um, significance in that. Uh, I have found the book whilst you were speaking, Jen. It's called Factfulness, and it's by Hans Rosling. And uh, the subtext, the subtitle is 10 Reasons We're Wrong About the World and Why Things Are Better Than You Think." Yeah, and it's really interesting on things like you know education statistics and poverty statistics and things. Anyway, thank you for that. Uh, keep the correspondence coming. Uh, you know how to do that. Today, we're talking about John chapter 21. It's on pages 62 and 63 of Light and Life. And it's a chapter where a familiar voice echoing over the morning waters calls plenty from scarcity, faith from uncertainty, and forgiveness from denial, and a new beginning from the end. Before that, though, it's time for... Glover's Off. Glover's Off this week is based on the fact that I think I'm allowed to say a little bit of this. Um, much of it is embargoed until December the 19th. So after December the 19th, I think we can release a full length expose. But I found myself this time last week on the stage at the Aberfeldy Town Hall and there had been a concert for the Ukraine and choirs were taking part and we'd had a Ukrainian guy uh, playing the accordion because Aberfeldy, lots of people have um, offered their homes up uh, for Ukrainian refugees and there's been a whole response. So uh, the, that had been picked up by the BBC, it was being filmed, but everybody thought it was a concert. Um, actually, I will give you this as a podcast exclusive because the producers didn't know this. Um, no, I won't. I'm not allowed to until December the 19th, so I'll have to edit it. Anyway, the, the rumours were flying around the town that something might be happening. And sure enough, at the very end, I was asked to stand on stage. I was comparing the thing. And I said, now, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce to you 
a national treasure, a living legend. It's the one, it's the only Jackie Bird. And at, out from behind the curtains next to where I was sat in the front, stood on the front of the stage, out comes Jackie Bird. And there we are. And <laughs> uh, she took the microphone from me and she said, thank you, Neil. I thought, she doesn't, that was quite nice. <laughs> she later on said, thank you for being my co-presenter this evening. Oh, Neil, that's And I great, thought, I only have two real co-presenters. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it got me thinking, Jackie Bird was an absolute star. And what was really nice is it was very obvious that her production team all really liked her as well. And it wasn't just an act. And she then took over the the rest of the thing. And if you want to watch that, it's on a Scotland's People's Awards, I think, on December the 19th, so you can watch it. But it got me thinking about Jackie Bird, who holds the record for being the longest-running presenter on Reporting Scotland. It got me thinking about news. And very often people say, we want to hear good news or we want to hear good news stories. I don't know about you. I sometimes find good news stories maybe a little bit anodyne, a little bit kind of they they don't quite touch me as I think they're meant to touch me but what happens when you hear something that is is genuinely just earth-shatteringly good and I think it's maybe happened twice that I can remember in recent years to me one was Andy Murray winning Wimbledon which I mean in the whole scale of things clearly isn't world changing but it did feel something happened but the really really big one for me was probably when I was living in Belfast and they announced the signing of the what was sometimes called the Good Friday Agreement it felt that this was a piece of news that was going to change the world from now on mm-hmm. and I think that's as close as I can get to understanding how the Bible uses the term good news or evangel it's this earth-shattering piece of goodness that completely changes the world from now on. So, Glover's off, the world of reporting Scotland, Jackie Bird, and telling good news, because ultimately, our Bible, our New Testament, is about good news. Well, thank you very much for that. Lovely piece of good news there. And uh, nice that you're continuing your television career, Neil. Today we are on chapter 21 of John. Uh, Neil, I think it's your favourite chapter. It is my favourite chapter in the Bible, partly because, I'm allowed to say, it has no, I'm not going into the content, but um, it was the final reading of the last General Assembly that I was in the role of ministries convener, and Colin Sinclair preached this wonderful uh, sermon on it, which just spoke to me on so many levels. And I remember walking out that, that room and saying goodbye to that world and that then led me into the world well I was quite ill with a bad virus for Mm. about three months after that then this podcast started then I got the cancer diagnosis and then we all moved into the world of COVID and it 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 was the reading that I took with me into Mm. the next kind of two or three years of life so it was very profound Brilliant. Well, uh, people who are following along, it's on pages 62 to 63 of Light and Life. And we finished chapter 20 with that intriguing paragraph that said that Jesus had performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. John could have left it there. That feels like a conclusion, doesn't it? 
And yet suddenly we find ourselves back in the, the world of the disciples, back in the, you know, hanging about with the fishing nets and the and on the lake and early in the morning. And we're, it's familiar territory, but they're clearly uncertain of what comes next. Why is this chapter here? Clearly, John felt something had to be added, whether he had a great story to tell, and he certainly does. Uh, quite a lot of people speculate that this, most scholars agree that this is a later addition to the to the gospel, um, but I think that the the one of the common speculations is the, to clarify the misunderstanding about would the beloved disciple live forever or not. So that's one of the things we we don't people don't know for sure. But I'm just, I'm just so grateful that he did. You know, he must have been tempted just to leave it. He didn't want to, and and he added it in, and oh. John. And, it, and it feels really important right from the start, doesn't it? Yes. Mm. You know, yes. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. You know, these kind of specific uh, bits of information and then the, the, the de- well, slightly detailed description of the seven people that are out in the boat. There's a sense of, of yeah, importance uh-huh. of, of this, this bit of the story. It couldn't have been left out. And and we've all the way through we've talked about the fact that John has crafted this gospel, mm. you know. So so incidents are not necessarily chronological, but they're placed in particular places in order to make theological points. We've talked a lot about the prologue. It, there, there's something of that, isn't there? It's almost it's the epilogue to the story too, isn't it? It's the here's what's yeah. happening next. And if it wasn't there, you know, for Peter particularly, we'd be left with him at the fa- at the first fire mm-hmm. in the courtyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. although there's an interesting uh, maybe dynamic between John and Peter as cousins and their competitiveness maybe and running to the tomb and things, John John is deeply gracious in putting this in and not leaving Peter where he was. It's also, I mean, one of the things I was reading, it also leaves us in no doubt that John, that, that, that rumour that John will still be alive when Jesus comes again, it, it scotches that, doesn't it? So there's maybe something of that. It, it it leaves us knowing quite clearly that John, like the others, will die. It also shows the environment that he's in. He's in a real living church where people are telling stories and they're going around all the time and mm-hmm. he's having to make his contribution to that. Mm-hmm. Just going back to the thing you said about, you know, chronological order, sometimes I, I do think that John has moved things in order to make a point. So we talked to previously about the cleansing of the temple and probably John places that. I have to say, I think this is genuinely something which happens twice. The the Clearly we've got the, a very similar story with, with Luke chapter 5 and the calling of the disciples and going out and fishing. Um, and then we've got John 21, but I think it's a deliberate callback. There's a number oh, yes. of things. Oh, sorry, I wasn't, when I said chronological, I wasn't meaning... You weren't meaning this, were you? No, 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 no. I knew you weren't. No, I was meaning that he he crafts how he tells the story. That there's a deliberate placing of things. Yes, Uh I I suppose I'm more having a conversation with myself, where sometimes I say, "Oh, well, it didn't happen twice." Here, I think it's actually really important that it did happen twice, because there are differences in it. Yes, yeah. I think that. Uh huh. Uh huh. So, so, so here that here's the the bunch of guys. The seven of them. Wonder where the others are. And they're called guys. Yeah. Jesus calls them guys or lads, doesn't he? He shouts across the water. Yeah, they're like a, the word that's used in Greek is a kind of colloquial term for a, a bunch of guys. Brilliant. Mm. So it's like a youth fellowship. Yeah, exactly. Youth club, boys brigade, and, scouts. And why why did they go back to the fishing? 
Jen, did you have thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, I've been, well, for years, I think I was told that it's because they were returning to the pre-Jesus days. Mm. They were sort of giving up on Jesus and were just going back to what they knew. But when I was reading it this time, I wondered, is it also something returning to comfort? Mm. Now, there's also, they were going back to base because they'd been told by Jesus mm. that he would be in Galilee. And yeah. Galilee's their home. So they're returning to base and and, hope, and hoping to see Jesus, perhaps. But there's a, there's a comfort element, I feel. I, I was reflecting on how... Um, Often when I'm, you know, if I'm not emotionally good, if I'm sad or whatever, you know, there's films I like to watch, there's books I like to read, there's food I like to eat, uh, there's places I like to go, walks Mm -hmm. I like to take, because in some mysterious way, they bring a sense of comfort and and it is kind of temporary and it doesn't actually solve the problem, which is is what happens here. So they they Mm -hmm. go back to that place of comfort of what is known they're together they're on their boat they're on the sea and then they don't catch any fish now they've been there before haven't they <laughs> but yeah. uh it, it ends the place of comfort w- won't carry on making me feel better you know eating my pakora and watching harry potter it's not going to have a, a long-term solution to the problem mm-hmm. but then the voice shouts out across the water I, I, it's just there's so many beautiful bits in this chapter and it, and it, the reality of it, and the honesty of it, the humanity of it, and Jesus is there. Jen, just picking up on that thing you said about you know the the you've heard so many sermons about how they were being bad because they they yeah. went back out fishing. It strikes me that we so often do that. I was with somebody yesterday. We were looking at that bit in Matthew, the genealogy, where the 14, 14 generations and the second fourteen are a a portrait of decline and the the third 14 they're just kind of obscure and this person was saying god is clearly rebuking his people over time for all their sins for all the mistakes that they have made over these generations i'm thinking yeah you can argue that point for the middle to middle 14 you can't really argue that for the the last 14 that it's not really there but it's almost that intrinsic thing to mm-hmm. say oh god is just rebuking people again and again people yeah. just keep making mistakes and mm-hmm. and and it's an attempt to go, isn't that amazing because God still loves us? I, I get that, but I don't think it's healthy mm-hmm. to constantly be berating ourselves when Jesus isn't doing it. There are plenty of mm-hmm. times where Jesus does very explicitly berate or tell off the disciples, and we can certainly dwell on these, but I don't think this is one of those times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Jesus doesn't shout across the lake, what yeah. are you doing out in that yeah, boat? Yeah. I told you to give up fishing yeah. and to go and, and fish for people. Why are you still fishing yeah. for fish? He, he says... Friends, throw your net out on the other yes. side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He encourages it. And he asks yeah. a question, which again is a consistent pattern, isn't it? Have you, haven't, haven't you any fish? Mm. Do you yeah. know, he opens it up, doesn't he? Opens he doesn't even instruct. That's right, uh-huh. he asks. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Do, do you yeah. not think there's a sense that they're kind of going, oh, thanks. You know, he's some <laughs> random stranger. <laughs> they don't know he's Jesus at this point. Hey, mm-hmm. you, you guys caught fish? No, thanks for rubbing it in. You know, <laughs> And then he says, oh, just do it on the other side. And he's like, oh, advice from some random you know you just feel like really annoyed and you would think in that moment there would be a little sense of wait I've been here before when a random guy who doesn't know about fishing told me to put my nets the other side yeah it's interesting isn't it and there's maybe a slow building of of recognition of him at that point and so they put they put the, the nets over they're unable to hold the net in because because it's so large and 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 then there's this thing where where Peter puts his cloak on uh huh Jumps in the water. Is that like me putting my wetsuit on? Is it cold? Yeah, I've always wondered about that. Like, 
Why is he putting his clothes on to go for a swim to get to Jesus? But then a wee bit of what I was reading was quite helpful because he would have apparently one of the fishing techniques is to have someone in the boat who goes into the water and does something with the net. I'm not an expert. So Peter might have been that person who'd been in and out of the water sorting the nets, probably with some kind of covering on him, like some kind of smock or something, I don't know. Um, so he would have been naked in a sense, but not completely naked probably. And then the word to dress in Greek is about uh, sort of tying up that kind of out the cloth he'd on, the smock he'd on, tying it up, bringing it up so he can then swim to shore quickly to see Jesus. And that just made so much more sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, I don't think it's a hugely profound thing. It maybe doesn't really matter, but I have always wondered what are you doing putting your clothes on to go for a swim? Mm-hmm. Because that's not what we would do. But again, yet again, we discover that this is a very different culture and context from what we're in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and the others follow. They, they're on the beach. There is a fire already burning. There is fish already there. Yeah, and we should say something about this fire. The word is a very specific word for a charcoal fire. And it's it's only ever used twice in the whole of the New Testament. Both times are in John. And the other time is in John chapter 18, where Peter is outside the charcoal fire and he's about to deny Jesus. So Jesus, this is very much, there's lots of callbacks going here. Not so much callbacks into the Old Testament or into Genesis, as often happens in the gospel, but callbacks into the Jesus story. This, this is almost revisiting what happened before the resurrection and now how is it different? And Jesus very much sets that up makes that and he, he doesn't sit he doesn't state it he doesn't sit him down and go well peter do you remember the last time you were at a fire like this he doesn't mm-hmm. do it he just lets the symbol stand there he, like a great performance artist he he doesn't mm-hmm. over explain he lets us do the work and and in the story it says that uh, they saw the fire of the burning coals but they wouldn't just have seen it they'd have smelt it yeah mm. and smell is an incredibly powerful mm. memory isn't it if, yeah. if i smell the smell of polished wood on floor. Mm. I don't know if anybody does that anymore, but that, you know, you just you, you do something to put a floor and you polish it in a gym hall or a, a mm. church hall. Whenever I smell that now as an adult, I immediately am back in primary one mm-hmm. and the horror of being taken to school on the first day and arriving, because it's after the summer and that's when the floor would have been polished, and arriving in this hall and being sent off into something I didn't really like very much. So the smell of a polished uh, hall floor has it's a very powerful emotion for me. And I imagine Peter, so he's he's enthusiastically swum to Jesus and mm. then he gets out of the water, he sorts out the fish, and then there's the smell, the smell that the last time he smelt it may be, but it doesn't matter if it was the last time. At one point when he smelt that smell previously, mm-hmm. he was saying, no, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and I just wonder emotionally what's going on with Peter. Yes. Yeah. You know, before he has this conversation with Jesus. Yes. yes. I was um, thinking as you were speaking, Neil, that, that you know how you get the amplified Bible? Yeah. It'd be really good if somebody invented a smellified Bible, wouldn't it? <laughs> just think of all the amazing smells that would, and, and you know, be, I think it would, it would add a richness. I'm just saying. And stinky smells as well. I know. <laughs> And you know, things like the perfume. You know, I always think that's significant. That you know, the anointing of the perfume. Yeah. Probably Jesus would still smell the perfume as he was on the cross. You know, there's lots of things that we sort of miss. Yeah. The olfactory Bible. The olfactory Bible. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'd like to volunteer to be part of the editing team for that. Uh, yeah, sorry, you were going to say something, I think. Oh, yeah, just picking up on something Jen was saying there about, about Peter and we don't know what's going on. I find it Peter's franticness and stress, mm-hmm. I think, as they do with some people, manifest themselves in overactivity. Mm-hmm. Um, last night, we we were at the a rehearsal for the Aberfeldy Ball, which is... Uh, a, a dance which it's all very grand and you have to learn all these dances that come from the Royal Scottish Country Dance Society so there's one called Shifting Bobbins and um, the real of the 51st point being these are really complicated dances and when people arrive who are new you have it's really stressful but some people who are themselves quite stressed to take out their stress by trying to tell everybody what to do and getting really involved and often they make more mistakes than everybody else there's an element, I think, of that going on here with, with Peter. There's a frantic, nervous energy. He's the one who said, let's go fishing. He's the one who dives into the water. He's the one who um, is is then dives back to the boat and hauls in the net. There's something he's running away from. He's, he's tense and it's unspoken and it will remain implicit, but Jesus mm-hmm. is going to deal with it. I, mm-hmm. I think that for me is one of my favourite things about this chapter, the, mm-hmm. Jesus is such a profound reader of people that he he understands the stir- disturbance and he's able to address it and he's going to address it, but not head on. He's he's going to let it subtly come and and but be quite provocative, mm-hmm. but but allow what is unsettled in Peter to be healed. Mm-hmm. And that lovely invitation to come and have breakfast. Mm. It's like in the middle of something really frantic and straf- stressful when someone says. Uh, come and have a cup of tea or uh-huh. I, I remember when my dad died um, my sister-in-law Sheila the next day or maybe the same day can't remember she disappeared off into my mum's kitchen and she was away for about 15 minutes and then she just came through and said come and have lunch and we oh. went through and there was all these things on the table cheese and bread and ham that she just sort of rustled up yeah. out of my mum's fridge and it, it's just it's that kind of that's what Jesus is doing. There's so much stress and worry and anxiety and fear and unknownness. And he just says, come and have breakfast. Yeah. Sit down and eat. It's it's even more direct in the in the Greek. It's and I can just see someone at a camp uh, having prepared, come, breakfast. It's just words <laughs> in Greek. Yeah. Here you are. Come, breakfast. Yeah. It's done. It's done. Mm. Yeah. It's it's beautiful, isn't it? And 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 once again a reminder of the importance of food in this mm. community. Yeah. Mm. Do you know, we, we come back yeah. to that again and again, the importance of sitting and eating and sharing together. It's, and he it's, took it, the bread and he gave it to them and he did the same with the fish. And mm-hmm. I think we talked about this when we did John chapter six, didn't we? Yeah. About mm. the sacramental nature of, of this moment. In fact, I think mm. you said, Neil, that there was some tradition of, that people would use fish. Yeah, there, there's some speculation that there were fishy communions in the early yeah. church. I mean, it's quite speculative, but it is an interesting idea that that was the, the the meal that drew the community together. And the fish, the fish having that significance as well as the um, sort of secret sign, isn't it, of yeah. the, the believers yeah, the under persecution? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah which exactly. is the word used for fish in this text? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, uh, and we'll we'll come back to to Jesus and Peter in a moment. But there is there's 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 a there's a drawing aside uh, for them. But can I just ask about the 153? Because oh. I think before we started, <laughs> we were all saying we've all heard lots of people explaining the 153 fish. It's a very specific number. Yeah, and John doesn't use specific numbers by accident. Mm-hmm. I, so people have sp- 
there, Jerome thought it was all the number of species of fish in the world. Uh, some people have speculated it's the 17th triangular number. So if you had 10 and 7, and the, I mean, niche. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm slightly with Augustine, who just said, we're all a bit confused by this. <laughs> I, I think it's deliberate, but I think it did mean something to the community to which it was sent. And I think it, we can fairly reasonably infer it's a sign of abundance. Yeah. 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 I, I like the sign of abundance. I don't really yeah. like numbers very much. I've always had a bit of a difficult relationship with them, so I'm just going for the abundance. Yeah. That's good. But then some people do like numbers, so yes. it also indicates abundance for them too. So, yeah, <laughs> gives them something to, to mull over. Yeah, On that exactly. note of the, the abundance thing, one of the commentators says, this is John's equivalent of Matthew chapter 28, go and make disciples of all the nations. So instead of that instruction, it becomes a picture of going and bringing all the abundance of fish from all the different places. I really like okay. that idea. And there, there is something about evangelism, isn't there? Oh, yeah. In yeah. This, this net. So it's so that's, again, calling back to Luke 5, isn't it? Yeah. That this yes. is not just about being a fisher of fish. It's being a fisher of men, yeah. a fisher of yeah. people, I guess. Nobody can agree on the 153. Everybody agrees that it's about evangelism. And, uh-huh. and, and, and I love that we're about to come to Peter's story, which is about, in a sense, pastoring the church. But I love that this is the Easter invitation to take this abroad, that there is nobody beyond the scope of this good news. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, you know, you can really dig into that, can't you? Because it's also, it's it's God's work. So that actually he didn't need them to, to, yeah. to find 153 fish because he already had fish on that charcoal fire. It's God's work, but they needed to change the way they were doing things. Yes, exactly. So they needed to do it his way rather mm. than, you know, frantically, as you've talked about with Peter, you know, go back to, to old ways. Yeah, so it's so, it's so rich, isn't it? Um, so they so they have the breakfast. They sit by the charcoal fire. Uh, there's a reminder or, or there's, a, there's a, an indication that this is the third time that this has happened. That's a wee bit controversial. Yeah, because if you count Mary's uh, appearance then it's the fourth time. So he's obviously not counting it. But I think he's just meaning it's the sense of when the disciples were together as a group, this is the third time that that happened. I yeah, because I was noticing beforehand that Thomas, it's not the third yeah. time for Thomas, it's only the second time for him, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Technically in that, in that uh, we love Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> and Mary. And Mary. Yeah, we love Mary, but I love Thomas. Well, if we don't know when this happened chronologically, uh-huh. does that make a difference to that? Maybe, you know, gosh, that gets quite confusing because then where's Thomas at any given point? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Anyway, 153, abundance, fish, evangelism, evangelism. Jesus, care for, uh, for uh, the appearance is significant. Yeah. Uh, sorry, can I just also, before we go on to Peter, just talk about the recognition factor. So they do recognise him, but they kind of don't recognise him. John has to say who it is. Is that about how Jesus appears? We've talked about this already, I think. The post-resurrection Jesus. There is something There is something mysterious about him. Hmm. Because if this is the third time they've encountered him, then you would like to think, oh, well, we're, you know, we're used to encountering him. I think he looks different each time. I mean, sometimes people say, oh, this must be what, an earlier appearance which has appeared later on because they don't recognise. I think Jesus is different each time. He chooses... Mm-hmm. His appearance is different, but his core is the same. And the, he's recognised either through the, the saying of a name, which is Mary. He's recognised through wounds, which is Thomas. Or here he's recognised by the way in which he brings the the potential of the disciples to life. I love the fact that they're all sitting there. And it's this double thing where nobody's 
nobody's daring to ask, are, excuse me, are you Jesus? Yeah, can we just clarify? <laughs> because they all knew it was. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. it's almost if, if they asked him who that he was Jesus, they know that Jesus would get maybe get a wee bit annoyed at them for not recognising, <laughs> of course it's me. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. It's to go away and ponder, really, isn't it? About, yeah, yeah how Jesus appears. And what it means. Um, so they finish eating and uh, Jesus takes Simon Peter aside. And the first thing that, that we wanted to talk about was the fact that he, he how he refers to him. He doesn't say Peter. He calls him Simon, son of John. So maybe there's a reminder of who he is, where he's come from, who he was. And I guess, we, we, you know, again, we need to contextualise this. It's the early morning. There's a smoke in the air. There's the smell of the smoke. There's the astonishment at the miracle that's that's occurred, and into the mix of all of that, Jesus then addresses Simon directly, and he uses his name Simon, son of John. So he doesn't refer to him as Peter. There's maybe a resonance there to who he is, who he was, where he's come from, his profession. You know, the reason he was son of John was he was John the fisherman's son, right? What what are we making of 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 that, and then how Jesus tackles Peter's anxiety in the moment? It's a, it's an interesting encounter, isn't it? And I think I've always thought of it as sort of Peter and Jesus going for a walk. I've I've always had that in my head that they got up from the fire and they went for a walk. And maybe later on, um, when Peter refers to John, who's behind them, maybe, maybe they have moved away. But I, when I was reading this, I was thinking, were, were they just sitting at the fire? And as you do when you've got a group of people in a situation like that, you're not all... Sometimes you're chatting all together and sometimes two people break off in a conversation. And mm. I wondered if it was that kind of feel. So Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Simon, son of John. Now, that, as you've said, Fina, that is really profound. It's like someone saying to me, Jennifer Agnes Robertson <laughs> <laughs> or even Jennifer Agnes Cook, like right back to the start, or Jennifer Agnes, daughter of Robert. Um, it, it, it's his profound conversation, isn't it? He's not just saying, hey, Peter, how's it going? He's showing Peter that this is going to be a significant conversation. Mm-hmm. And what I really, really like about it is that Jesus doesn't say, are you following me? Are you obeying me? Have you asked for forgiveness? Have you sorted out your life? He just says, do you love me? Mm-hmm. That's the most important thing. It's the most important thing for all of us. That It's, do you love me? That comes first. And then later on, uh, Jesus will say, follow me. And he'll say, mm-hmm. No, you're following me to the cross. You're you're following me to mm. your death. Uh, but it's the love that's first, and and I think for me, that's why I need to remember that Jesus asked me that every day. Do you love me? And and in a way where it's not like Peter says, Jesus says, "Do you love me?" And then Peter says, "Yes, you know I love you." And Peter, Jesus, kind of. It doesn't seem to question that. It, it's almost as if it's not that Jesus needs to know this. It's like Peter needs to know this. Mm-hmm. He, mm-hmm. he needs to discover that his love is even deeper than his denial. Mm-hmm. That 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 he had. It's it's a funny. Well, it's not funny at all. But it's a very profound way of engaging with his virtue in order to to be released from his sin. And I would argue that's a virtue that God has put there. I think that the ability to love God is a gift that God gives us. So we don't claim credit for us. It is Christ at work within us. But there is, there is something about Peter discovering his potential and then Jesus gives him a job. The feeding the sheep and the lambs, it, I think we often, I don't know, do we often in the church now 
say to people, come, come and we're not going to say come and feed the lambs, but uh, come and I don't know, clean the tables or help with the food bank or yeah, come and be in welcome duty or you know come uh, and do the task, and mm-hmm. and then you and I think actually that's how a lot of people do then discover that they love Jesus. So I'm not dismissing that, but it's not the order that Jesus does here. He puts the love. Mm-hmm. And it, it speaks into the conversation about the place mm, of yeah. worship, doesn't it? That, that worship is the the starting point, really, isn't it, for any service? I thought you were about to say there was worship as the starting point for living. Well, well yeah, I, yeah. Guess, I guess service is living, isn't it? It's living out what we believe in living the way Jesus would have us live. You know, sometimes in the accounts that we sometimes read of times where there has been a very strong presence of God and I'm, I'm being very careful because I, I yearn for those times but then you'll often hear people give accounts of people were just confessing their sins for hours upon hours upon hours now I don't want to deny that that happened and, and that was important but I wouldn't want to hold that up as a model for how we move into always have to move into new life because here is Peter after this great great crime his in his view, his his most d- profound moment of shame, embarrassment, mistake, and not once does he actually say sorry for it. Hmm. it it's like you to move to forgiveness, you have to you have to find the way of 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 moving to that into that place where you are unconditionally loved and forgiven. But maybe not always the way that it happens is through this extended confession, because that in itself can almost become a way of earning it. And and we have we have discovered and encountered this all the way through this gospel, haven't we? Discovered what that forgiveness. I th- no, we've discovered that sense of it's yeah. it's, mm. it's about your your belonging, your identity, yeah. your being loved, and your loving in return yeah. that then propels you into. I mean, I say in this gospel, I think it, it's prevalent in all the gospels, isn't it? Yes, and it would be huge in Paul as well. His his whole idea mm-hmm. of being in Christ is mm-hmm. is that. And we so easily, I think we so easily, well, I speak for myself here. I so easily forget that. I so easily slip back mm-hmm. into if I do good things for Jesus, somehow yeah. A, I'll earn his love and I'll prove yeah. that I love yeah. him. Whereas actually the first question he's asking me is, is do you yeah. love me, Fiona? Yeah. You don't need to prove it. Just you know, you need you need to confess it, I guess. And, and that's when it. Jesus asks him three times, "Do you love me?" He then says, "You know, you're you're going to be bound up, and you're going to be taken where you don't want to be taken, and you're going to end up uh, glorifying God through your death." Now, we we don't. Not really. That's not really the words we kind of thing we proclaim, isn't it? You like um, you know, love God, and then that's you you're giving your life over to god and terrible things might happen because of that you'll have life in all its fullness that's normally mm-hmm. what we say which normally we interpret mm-hmm. as have a great life with jesus it's not uh-huh. really the message yeah. here is it yeah yeah do you think he would have been relieved when he heard that though in a sense there was a, ch- a chance to have a second go when he heard about about his the manner of his death yeah, that or... he had was it him that says earlier that, you know, we'll go and die with you? And then he's clearly failed in that. And it, is there a relief for him that one day yeah, I'll... Uh-huh. I can still I'll fall into the worst place. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a reluctance because Jesus says you'll go where you don't want to go. I mean, that's the whole point. But is there a part of him which says, one, I have a future. And secondly, I have a future that's going to glorify God. And I'll... Yeah, that's really interesting. I'd never thought about that before. I never thought about, you know, the, the where you don't want to go mm. was was... was 
he he chose not to go where he didn't want to go yeah. in that in that courtyard yeah. discussion, didn't yeah. he? And he he will do it. Can we just say something here about the use of the word love? Yes. Uh, there's and this is specifically for folks who may have heard sermons on this, which pick up on the fact that there are different Greek words used here. So. Very roughly, what happens is, is Jesus says, do you agape? And agape is a very deep word for love in Greek. Or we, if you're used to a kind of C.S. Lewis frame, then often that's seen as the highest love. And Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But the Greek word he uses isn't agape, it's philo, which sometimes is, is taken to be a kind of not quite as strong a love. So you have this dynamic of Jesus saying, do you agape me? Peter says, yes, I feel you. Jesus says, do you agape me? Peter says, yes, I feel you. And then last time Jesus changes to do you feel me? And Peter says, yes, you know that I feel you. And that's really hard to make any sense of if there's quite a sharp distinction between those two meanings uh, of love, because it feels like a downgrade. It feels like Jesus has accommodated himself to Peter's lesser love. And that doesn't make any sense within this overall framework of restoration. Rather, I think commentators are pointing out that maybe sometimes, and I, I hate to be critical of C.S. Lewis because he was a genius and he wrote fabulous books, but scholars maybe now feel that maybe C.S. Lewis was too sharp in, enjoying, in drawing these distinctions of the different Greek words for love and that John seems to be using them interchangeably. And the, 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 one of the strongest pieces of evidence for that is the fact that, that Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I feel you. Now, if there was a difference in meaning between that, he wouldn't have said, yes, Lord. He, he would mm. have put in some kind of contrastative, like, well, yes, but it's feel oh, or something. No, I'm just a bit and fond that. of you, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's I don't right. love you like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's and not also, that. i think it's important to remember that jesus and peter weren't talking greek i don't know you know they were talking aramaic yes and yeah. so this is john's yeah. interpretation uh -huh. of the conversation which he's overheard along as behind he's <laughs> I, I i think it's less surreptitious i think he got an after account of it from peter yes i think he probably did <laughs> I think you probably did. Um, can I ask a question about who they are? Do you love oh. them more than those? Is it fishing these? boats? Yeah, I think... Is it fishing I, boats? Again, is, is it, it fishing? Is it you, other I've disciples? I've always thought it was the disciples, but then that just seems quite harsh, doesn't it, really? that You know, is, is that the kind of thing that Jesus mm. would do? And if so, if it's the fish in the boats, uh -huh. that makes more sense because Jesus has already asked them a very long time ago to leave those things behind, so it ties in with previous uh -huh. Jesus conversations. I feel this is the podcast where we just admit all the things we don't understand. <laughs> so we didn't understand well. the thing about swords. We don't understand the 153. And I I agree, Jen, it, it, it doesn't make any sense for this to be about rivalry. Um, so what is it? Um, Bultman, the great interpreter, just said it was a way of involving the disciples in the conversation. But Kind of, it's a bit of a rubbish way of involving them, isn't it? Yeah, it seems a bit odd, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I, if I had to make a guess, I'd actually say it's maybe the fishing nets. But yeah, yeah, it's the only one that makes well, sense. Well, as as you know, friends, I, I said before we started, it's just not Jesus' vibe, really. Yes, that's right. <laughs> In the commentaries, it says this would be out of character of Jesus, and you're like, it's not his vibe. 
I mean, I think we've had quite a lot of him settling the arguments about who's the greatest and all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. would seem odd that he would maybe, then. I mean, maybe set he's up got a, a fish a language in his hand course. at this point. Jesus is just like, do you love me more than these? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you make me hungry now. Uh, now and then John appears, and there is this little. You, somebody referred to it, Neil. I think it was you referred to that uh, that rivalry between mm. Peter and John. We talked about that when we talked about the resurrection, didn't we? John appears behind. Uh, following, and, and uh, you mentioned the running as well, didn't you, Jane? That's right. There was a bit of competition there, and Peter sees him and he says, "Lord, well, what about what about him?" Yeah, and there is some there is some sense that maybe, and I, again, I said this, I think, at the beginning that 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 John has included this in order to make it very clear that Jesus had something to say about the manner of his yeah, and it's also the rest of his life. Yeah. I mean, I know we, we've talked a lot in the podcast about the need we need to be in community to follow Jesus, and we need each other and but there does come a moment, doesn't it, when it's just me and Jesus, and that and that feels a bit like that kind, this kind of mm-hmm. moment that mm. you know it's not about him. That what does what does Jesus say? He says, "If I if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You must follow me. No, don't you? You can't be looking around and thinking, what about them and what are they doing? There does come moments in life when it's just you and Jesus, and you have to respond in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I. I feel for Peter here because John is the great, feels that John gets it right all the time. Uh, John's the one who lay next to him at supper. This is recalled here. John's the one uh, who won the running race. John's the one who said in the, just a moment ago in the boat, he was the first to recognize him. You know, if mm-hmm. I'm Peter, I'm thinking he's, he's always ahead of me. He, uh-huh. he always wins. And yet, it's not John that Peter has asked to feed the sheep. So there's a sense that their roles are different. Yes. That, and there's not a hierarchy. And you have to, and once again, Jesus is saying to Peter, well, your role is going to be die a martyr's death, which is going to glorify me. What if he's going to live forever? It's different. Live with the difference. Yeah. What I mm-hmm. want you to do is to follow me. It's another reason I love this. It's a it's a chapter about evangelism. It's a chapter about discipleship. It's a chapter about forgiveness. It's a chapter about love. And it's a chapter about dealing with the other people in the church who threaten you with their apparent belovedness of Jesus. And all of those are big challenges for me. Yeah, yeah. And yes, yes. And that room and reminder to keep pastoring. Mm. The sheep, yeah. that 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 uh, continuation of Jesus' ministry there, isn't it? So we reach the conclusion. Uh, Jesus did many other things as well, and if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would have that would be written. Yeah, and if if this is Neil's favourite mm. chapter, this is one of my favourite verses, and and I and I really do love it. But it's also quite a when people say, "Oh, what's your favourite verse?" It's quite a good one to give because <laughs> it doesn't say anything specific. But it does say this is only a little of all that we, we know. And mm. there's that back to C.S. Lewis to a wee balance in C.S. Lewis. Um, in the Narnia book in The Last Battle, it, there's that kind of feel that as they go into the new Narnia, they discover that all they'd known was was, was hardly anything compared to what was still to be known about Aslan, yes. obviously in their context, yes. the Narnian context. Yes. And I was reading that uh, this kind of, writing was quite quite a usual way to write at at the time of John writing. Can I just read that wee quote, Fiona, from the rabbi Johannan Ben-Zaki? I'll get that right. Uh, A first century teacher, he wrote, 
um, if all heaven were a parchment and all the trees produced pens and all the waters were ink, they would not suffice to inscribe the wisdom I have received from my teachers. And yet from the wisdom of the wise, I have enjoyed only so much as the water, a fly which plunges into the sea can remove. And it's just so much in John's gospel is rich and deep and meaningful and has brought us closer to Jesus, but it's only a little bit of all that we know of Jesus. Mm. And maybe there is an aptness to the chapter revealing how little we understand. Mm. Maybe that's the conclusion we reach as we get to the end of this gospel, that there is so much more to, to know and experience. And we could, do you know what, in January we could just start again, couldn't we? <laughs> and there would still be more to find. Does anybody have a takeaway from today? Other than a fish sandwich, which would be my choice of takeaway. <laughs> or some pakora if I'm not feeling too good. There's a lovely fish stack in Ullipool that does a really nice wrap, fish wrap. Anyway. Uh, there's there's so much, so much in this chapter. And I think that kind of, the intimacy of Jesus with Peter and with, and with all the disciples mm. and the importance of giving food at the right moment and just... And wanting to know more, just the ongoing, it, it inspires me this chapter to just want to keep finding out more and that'll never end. The, the, for me, I think it's the delicacy of the, the chapter, the, the encounter with Peter, which for me feels like the encounter with Mary. It just has this mm. kind of sense of closeness, of intimacy, and then his sense of closeness already to the beloved disciple. And then I love this the way, I loved what you said there, Jane, about the, the last few verses. And just the delicacy of the way that he even unveils himself. This is the disciple who's writing these things down. And even then he's talking of himself in the third person. And if it is him that's writing, then he just says in the last verse, I, he now uses the word I, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. But there's a delicacy of just, even now he just, this is me. Love that. Turns to camera. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, I... I was thinking about something, Neil, you were talking about the, that tendency towards anxiety, mm. you know, anxious rushing mm. and Jesus noticing of that and knowing how to deal mm. with that. It, it, I was feeling quite challenged about in any environment where I notice mm. something, how I then respond to it mm. and how I come alongside those who, who whose true anxiety is maybe not manifest in, in their actions. So, so how, how do, yeah. Yeah didn't articulate that terribly well but no, yes I know I'm, what you I'm mean. Quite, that... you know I'm kind of encouraged and challenged to, to, to respond better yeah great well thank you very much uh, before we go Jen have you got a Jen I have indeed there's a beautiful bit there's so many beautiful bits in this uh, chapter but there's a little bit that I noticed when the disciples arrive on the beach Jesus has been doing some preparation so he's got the fire ready he's got some fish and he's got some bread so he, wait, he also went and got the bread from somewhere and he He's got the fish to the fire to just the right level to cook the breakfast on. And my gem, therefore, is about preparation. That preparation really matters. If Jesus needed to do it, then we need to do it. Um, I've I'm involved in a messy church on Saturday. There'll be lots of people there, and there's lots of preparation. Um, because you need to get it right, uh, to create the right environment to help us all have an encounter with Jesus at that event. So whether it's cutting up strips of cloth for people to write prayers on to put in the manger 
or making sure we've got an extra gazebo, gazebo that's going to be Bethlehem where people will hang all their stars or making sure we've got the candles in the right place so then that people can lay their cut out hearts on it as they think about what they're pondering about this Christmas. All these things of preparation really matter. And a wee plug as well. The, the material we're using at our Messy Church on Saturday is Jesus is Born. It's an intergenerational resource which you can download at scottish.bible forward slash Christmas if you're looking for something to do with all ages eh, in the run up to Christmas. But Jesus needed to prepare, so we need to prepare. And I I, I was slightly concerned that maybe sometimes the things I've said in Jen, Jen's gems, it's just like, oh, you just rock up and have a chat. But there's always preparation, whether it's reading something in preparation or thinking through your questions or very practical preparation, eh, preparation matters. Excellent. Thank you very much. Well, thank you both for the amount of preparation you put into this uh, podcast. I'm always bowled over by the depth of your knowledge and your reading. So I appreciate that very much. And it, it adds to the depth and the richness of all that we talk about. So thank you both very much for that. I certainly have benefited from it. That is it. We have read our way through John's Gospel and uh, next time we will of course be rounding off the year with our bumper episode of reflection and news and hopefully some comments and questions from you dear listeners. But for now it's a thank you and a goodbye from all three of us. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.